You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I've got Mark Mawini for you today. Mark is a fantastic guy, fantastic coach, fantastic conversationalist, also Canadian, which makes him like him even more, even though he's from the Maritimes, but we're not going to hold that against him today. In this episode, Mark shares with us how you can get clients without paid advertising. Very important topic. I know advertising is the holy grail. Everybody wants to be running ads on Facebook, but as you may also know, that can be very expensive and it's not for everybody depending on where you are in this journey. And it may not be for you at all, depending on your business model and who you target in terms of your clients. So in this episode, Mark's going to share with us the good news. And the good news is there are plenty of ways to get clients without using paid advertising. And Mark's going to lay out some of the more popular methods that he teaches and that his clients use in this episode. Now, before I let you get to the interview with Mark, let me remind you, it's December as of the time of the release of this episode. And Typically, what comes after December is January and the new year. And around this time of year, you're probably thinking, well, how did 2018 go? What went well? What didn't go well? And more importantly, how is my 2019 going to look any different? What's going to change in 2019? Because if nothing changes in 2019, then it's just going to be a boring rerun of 2018. And I don't think that's what you want. So if you're looking forward to 2019, you're thinking about where to take the business, how to take the business forward, what strategies to employ, where to focus your time, where to focus your energy, here's what I've got for you. I'm giving away a number of free breakthrough strategy sessions with me, one-on-one with me, not with somebody from my team. These are with me, you and me. We're going to get on the phone. We're going to dive into what's going on in your business. What are the challenges? What are you struggling with? Where are you stuck? And we're going to find you that breakthrough and chart you a plan for 2019 to take your business to the next level. Whatever that looks like for you, it may be doubling your fees or doubling your income or working with better clients or repositioning or finding a new niche. Whatever that looks like for you, we're gonna get into the weeds of it and help you come up with a strategy and a plan all in about a 45-minute phone conversation. So if that sounds interesting to you, go ahead and claim your spot at forecast.fm slash talk. That's forecast.fm slash talk. But don't wait because this is going out to a lot of people and I only have so many spots in my calendar, unfortunately. So these are going to fill up pretty quickly. So go ahead and grab your spot right now at forecast.fm slash talk. If you happen to get one, I really look forward to speaking with you. That said, here is Mark Mawini. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. Why don't you get us started, Mark, by telling us your quick backstory? It's always tough to do that, isn't it? (laughs) Condensing 39 years into um, a 10-second soundbite. Well, well, you can take longer than 10 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, uh, my background is um, I'm a coach now. I've been doing that in my fifth year, but my background's actually in real estate. And I did that throughout my 20s, started when I was 21 years old and did that for about a decade before coaching. So it's interesting. I'm seeing some similarities there between real estate and coaching, which I would have never thought. But uh, yeah, I've been coaching since early 2014 in the online space and um, having a lot of fun with it. Now, why did you decide to leave real estate and go into coaching? 
it wasn't a planned uh, thing. In fact, it was probably a pretty messy transition. It was a business closure. So um, I don't think any entrepreneur ever plans business closure. But uh, to make a long story short, I had almost a decade of nonstop success in real estate. Nothing had gone wrong. Everything was going great. Um, in income revenues were just skyrocketing every year. Team was growing, and I built it up to a team of about 100 agents and employees with me, and then a couple office spaces here on the east coast of Canada where I'm at. And then everything collapsed in, in um, August of 2009. And I ended up going through not one but two business closures in real estate in the span of oh three or four years. So um, that was um, I'm not really big. Uh, woo-woo type guy with where the universe, you know, a lot of people say the universe is responsible for them finding a parking spot, missing a <laughs> parking <laughs> spot, whatever. I'm not a woo-woo guy, but that was the universe's way of saying, hey, Mark, get the heck out of real estate, do something else. And and then um, I, I had a period of time where I say I was in the wilderness and I was helped by several coaches and mentors. And that's what ended up getting me into coaching is that exposed me to what coaching could be as a business. And I said, Jesus, looks like a lot of fun. I'm going to do it. So take me back because that sounds, I mean, that sounds like a tough spot to be in. You get 10 year career in real estate. Obviously you were doing well, you built a large team. And I mean, that was, that was your identity, right? You were a real estate right. guy. So how do you go from a, a really clear identity as a business owner and a clear focus to not having one and then finding something new? Like, what was that like? It was really tough because you're right. I had associated myself for a decade as quote, a real estate guy. That's all I had done right out of university. I graduated university and bang, I'm in real estate. So I'd never really experienced any other careers or businesses. And I thought I'd be doing real estate forever. So it kind of, um, you feel like you're, you're losing part of your identity because you associate so closely with it. What I can realize now where I've had the, the benefit of hindsight and looking back where that was quite a few years ago, now I can see that, hey, I wasn't Real estate and I weren't the same thing, right? The business closed, and that's a business that's separate than me. And I shouldn't have tied myself in so closely to that identity. And that's a lesson I learned now. Knock on wood, I'm not anticipating anything to go wrong with coaching. It's been going really well, but I'm not tied in so much with my coaching. I, I enjoy it. I think I'll be doing this probably for the rest of my life. But entrepreneurs aren't their businesses, even though we spend 80 or 100 hours a week in our businesses. We're actually really real people with other skills, talents, interests as well. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I have a very, very similar experience in that I used to be a, a CPA at Ernst & Young, a big accounting firm. Mm -hmm. And and when I left, I had a very similar kind of identity crisis. You know, I used to be the, the accountant, the CPA, the big firm guy with, with the nice suit in the, the downtown office. And that's what people knew me for. And then all of a sudden I went into marketing and I worked at a small firm initially and just a complete clash of worlds, right? And to this day, you know, some 10 years later, people ask me for tax advice and I have to just kind of gently oh. remind them, hey, I've been out of the game for a long time. You might want to get your advice from somebody else. I still get that. Actually, I had a, a relative call me on the weekend because he's flipping a house. He's asking me questions and I don't mind given a little bit my two cents, but I'm really not going to jump into getting into advising him on a sale and, and all this other stuff. I said, look, you should be talking to your agent. I'm not an agent anymore, nor do I have a desire to be in real estate because frankly, I'm having a lot more fun coaching than I ever did in real estate. So, yeah, I know it's interesting how, how sometimes it takes, takes more time than you'd think to kind of shed your old personality. eh? 
Well, it does. And I, I think you're, you're like me, you know, well, I like to think of young guys. Um, so, uh, when, when that's your main identity coming right out of school, then it can stick with you a lot longer. Now, if you're someone who's 60 years old and you've gone through three or four transitions through business or jobs in your life, then you have that benefit of being able to look back and realize that. But it's funny, I learn a lot more. I would say I learned more in one year of the business closure and the resulting controversy and BS and everything than I had learned in 10 years before that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, when things are going well, revenue is coming in. It's all fine and dandy, right? Oh, but everyone when things... loves you. When the, gra- <laughs> when the gravy trains roll and they all love you, they're, they're you know, your best friends or whatever. When they can't get something from you, then all of a sudden they'll turn. And this is going to sound very cynical, but I, I guess that's the way the world is. I don't look at it through rose-colored glasses. And it, once things turn and, and, and there's no longer a benefit or that they can get from that, you learn pretty quickly who your friends are and who aren't your real friends. And that's fine. It's a great way to flash out those fair weather friends. Well, I suppose it's it's a good way to also kind of learn what you're really made of when things aren't going so well, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. If you can get through that, uh, then you know you can get through other things. So what's interesting is once I got into the coaching whole realm of things, and I started hearing these stories from guests on my podcast and other ones who've just been literally through hell. I mean, um, Tanner Gears comes to mind. He was an accomplished athlete. Uh, the world's in the palm of his hands. And one day he's driving down the street and he had um, it was a tree or a pole went through the windshield and took off half his face, his head, basically. And, and he lived. You know, and, um, and he's gone through a lot of surgeries and stuff, but now he's motivating people and he's uh, doing athletic stuff and things with, uh, despite that. And I think, you know what, my story, my story is pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> I started almost thinking, man, I wish something else had happened, something worse, you know, because I'm hearing people who killed people or all this other stuff. I'm like, man, my story is boring. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you got to be, uh, you got to have one of those really dramatic stories if you want to make it to that uh, Tony Robbins level guru status. Yeah, you have to be living in a dumpster your whole life and surviving <laughs> off sewer rats and stuff like that. I mean, I went through, you know, business closure, bankruptcy, divorce. That's boring stuff, you know. <laughs> Child's play, really. Yeah, exactly. So, so Mark, take me back. I want to hear more about the early days as a coach. Uh, so you went through this this discovery process where you left real estate, decided coaching was for you. Did you have like a niche in mind or did you just kind of pick the industry first and then figure it out? Like, How did that all work? Well, when I got started, I had the most broad focus ever. I said, I'm going to be a coach for entrepreneurs. <laughs> and it has that for niching down, you know, <laughs> oh, any entrepreneur I'll work with. But that came from my, uh, my love of entrepreneurship and wanting to help entrepreneurs. And I feel that they need help. And what I discovered going through that first year was um, a couple of things. First of all, you need to be more focused than that. That's way too broad. But I was also working with a few people and... There are two types of people I was working with. I had Joe Smith, a traditional bricks and mortar type entrepreneur. And then I was working with two different coaches as clients. And when I compared how much I enjoyed each of them, no, there's no comparison. I loved working with the coaches. I was excited, popping out of bed. I, I just loved every part of that. I loved helping them with um, setting up their programs, their, with their pricing, with their mindset, everything else. I didn't enjoy Joe Smith from Joe's Widgets. So what I decided after enough time of doing that is, hey, you know what? I enjoy work with coaches. I'm going to plant my flag in the ground here and work only with coaches. And to this day, if anyone approaches me to hire me and if they don't fit that mold, if they're not a coach, I refer them off to 
a business coach that can help them. Tell me a little bit more about what, why not Joe Smith? I mean, was it like a mindset thing, a personality thing? Like, why didn't you enjoy that? A uh, couple things. Uh, to be frank, Joe Smith is a tougher uh, sell because he may not understand what coaching is or how it can help him. He's he's worried about making payroll and he's dealing with his employees and everything else. And I know a lot of business owners that think, oh, well, what do I need a coach for? Coaches for the Olympics or something. And so there's a little bit of a hurdle that you have to get past there to explain the benefits of coaching and the ROI. I think that was part of it. Um, the other thing, too, is um, I, I like with um, everything I was doing was online. I didn't want to do the local thing. So I'm not saying that every business coach is doing local because I know there's business coaches that target, obviously, people from away. But I know that a lot of business coaches stay in their own sandbox in their hometown or home city. And they're only working with they're meeting people at their office and doing all that stuff. I don't want to be a Starbucks coach that's sitting face to face and working with. We're picking on Joe Smith today. <laughs> There's probably a Joe, Joe Smith listening that's getting all pissed off, and unsubscribing to your show. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, Mark. From Joe's widgets, like you know, in Toronto or whatever. Um, so, uh, but for me, I just uh, I'm not that local Starbucks coach. I did the local thing for over a decade with real estate, and there's something refreshing about working with people from away and. This isn't to knock my part of the world. I'm in Eastern Canada. It's a little, you know, you know about it. It's smaller, a little more traditional, um, not the biggest sinkers. This isn't California. And I love working with people from away like California, like the bigger areas and overseas too, because they have a different take on things. And I, I find that's just, it's a different mentality, which I like uh, that compared to local. So that would be the other reason why. And what did you do in the early days when, you know, you, you didn't have the, the brand name that you have now, you didn't have the reach and the exposure you have now. What did you do in the early days to bring in clients? I threw a ton of spaghetti at the wall to see what would stick. <laughs> so I was lucky because I actually had a sales job with a telecommunications company here and it was a home-based job. There were two of us doing that position for the whole province and I could work from home, had to travel once every month or two elsewhere in the province, not much travel. And I had a manager that wasn't breathing down my neck. So I got really good at getting my stuff done there and then and then got hopping over to do my coaching stuff. But the benefit of that was it gave me a little bit of a runway. I wasn't in a position where I had to get a client on day one or I wouldn't be able to eat. I was going to be able to pay the bills. Now, there wasn't as, as much left over after as I would like, which is why I was starting my own business. But um, in the early days, it was just getting out there and seeing, throwing that spaghetti at the wall, seeing what would stick, uh, starting conversations. It wasn't; it was more action than planning. And I find a lot of people online overplan things. They want to have the perfect business plan. They want to research it out, have it all planned out, and they take six months or a year before they even get out there. I just say jump out there and just get going. You're going to make mistakes, but you're going to find out what works and what doesn't work. And that's the approach that I. I took that in the real estate days and I also took that in coaching and it's worked well. Yeah, I know it's, 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 I think part of the problem there is many of us come from larger corporate backgrounds. I mean, that's certainly my, my background mm -hmm. and in a larger corporate environment, you have to plan because you've got teams and you've got budgets and you've got more on the table and more at stake. And so to just kind of jump in and execute would be reckless and irresponsible. But what we forget as smaller enterprises, whether you're a solo or a small company, small firm is, 
you don't have the luxury of sitting around and pontificating in a boardroom <laughs> around, you know, what to yeah. do and what not to do. I mean, you've got to get some results quickly and, and planning is only going to get you so far. It is. And then you're going to get more and more frustrated as you're planning, because the longer you plan, the longer it takes before you get those first clients. So you get frustrated. And I actually am sending an email out to my list this week about the dangers of over. I think a lot of people online have it is that they're over motivated. They're consuming all these books, podcasts, not to knock podcasts, but um, they're consuming books, podcasts, online programs, and just more and more and more. And it's getting their engine revved up, but then they don't have an outlet for it because they're not taking action to do anything. And then they get more frustrated and then they're off to their next cheap fix, going to the bookstore to buy the next book. And it continues on like a cycle. I think that the best personal development is just getting out there and actually doing stuff. Well, it's easy to hide is the thing, right? Because you feel, yeah. you know, you listen to forecasts, you listen to to Mark Mawini's podcast and you read his emails mm-hmm. and all the other gurus out there, it's easy to hide and feel like, hey, I'm, I'm getting stuff done. I'm learning. Uh, but, yeah. you know, if you're not taking that learning and putting it into action, then it's only going to get you so far. So I think that's the challenge. I mean, I have a very strict information diet, um, you know, and and frankly, I think a lot of folks, if if it comes down to listening to my podcast or listening to Mark's podcast versus actually doing something with the ideas, I I'd, I'd advise the latter every time. <laughs> yeah, I, I would too. I mean, I think it's good to do uh, a little bit of that. Obviously, every day I do a lot. I do a, a lot more than the average person for personal development, but I don't have the luxury of doing 12 hours a day or I wouldn't have time to coach people or do my content creation or anything else. So I think that stuff's good for someone who's trapped in a nine to five and doesn't have the, let's say the entrepreneur background or mentality and they want to get swung around or they want to give a good kick in the butt to get off the couch and to do something. But people like you and I, we don't need that kind of kick because we, we would do it regardless. I'm sure you're like me, even if you have the flu and your head's in the toilet, you feel like working and, and keep going. So it doesn't do us as much good to get 12 hours a day of personal development. Yeah, totally. Mark, I want to jump into uh, something more specific now. One of the things that's really jumped out to me about uh, your work and, and, and the way that you approach marketing and, and your philosophy, so to speak, is that you talk a lot about how to get clients without advertising. And that really jumped out at me because that's not really all that common anymore. Most most of the gurus out there are talking about how to use paid advertising to get clients. And it's it's become a, a pretty popular trend. But then you came in and said, well, look, you know, there are ways to get clients without paid advertising. And you kind of specialize a little bit, if, you know, if I may say that, um, in, in helping clients do that. Tell me a little bit about how that works. Yeah, I mean, I built my coaching business all organic from the ground up because I just didn't have that big budget to throw into ads and to hire people and do all that stuff. So I use um, really I use three ways to grow my business. There's three pillars. One is podcasting, which is free or very minimal expenses. I mean, I have, my brother edits at his company and stuff like that. But I have podcasting on both sides of the mic, uh, hosting and guesting like this. Uh, the second way is Facebook, and my Facebook groups become a, bit, a big part of it, the coaching jungle. And then the third way is email marketing, and specifically daily emails. So I've been doing that for about two years, and I highly recommend that you send daily emails. So if I'm doing those three things, I know that I'm good, and technically I don't have to do paid ads. So in the first four years, I spent under 2000 in paid ads. I dipped my toe in Facebook ads water, but... 
I'll be doing a little bit more going forward because I've got some other plans for things. But I always tell people you don't need that big budget. You could do it organically. It's just it's going to take effort and consistency. So if you don't mind, break down those those three pillars for me, podcasting, Facebook groups, email marketing. How do those fit together and how does that actually result in paying clients? Well, the podcasting thing is what really got me on the map because my show is a daily podcast for the first 300 episodes. I started it in November of 2014 and it really helped with credibility. It gave me leads. I had people that were saying, yeah, I've been listening to your show for five years, Mark. And I'm thinking, no, you haven't because it's only been on for six <laughs> months. But they, I did the equivalent of five years of podcasting in six months. And, um, and it helped that, that opened the door to some things. So I have to thank podcasting. That was a huge part of it. And everything I do, it does fit together because between podcasting, the Facebook group and my daily emails, I try to, I guess my, my personality that comes through with, uh, with the content creation in those places is, Hey, I'm a straight shooter. I'm not going to BS like so many people in this wild west of the internet. They're saying you can make seven figures in seven days, working seven minutes a day or whatever uh, they're saying. And and I'm just keeping it real with people and throwing in uh, my dry Canadian, sometimes lame sense of humor <laughs> and st stuff like that. But it, it set me apart from other people because I don't sound like, you know, a lot of people in the online space sound the same. It's the same old boring marketing emails and the same lingo and, and all that. And I think people are getting really sick of that. They're seeing it so often. So I'm putting my own voice out there. And those three things all tie together because I'm not trying to be someone that I'm not. I'm just putting it out there myself, how I am. And people said to me, Mark, I'm on your email list and you talk, you write exactly like you talk. And I'm like, well, how else would I write? <laughs> but that's because online, it's so normal for people to just talk like robots, the same stuff and the same lingo, same phrases, the same high pressure sales tactics. And you got to do it differently here in 2018. You know, it's funny. I was a little bit surprised when we first got on a call together because I, I went on your website and I, and I saw your pictures and you kind of come across, you know, through the pictures and, and through the website as, you know, your typical kind of marketing guru, right? You know, good looking guy, long blonde hair, like you, you fit the persona, right? <laughs> and then and then we got on a call together. And you're and like, I, man, you're ugly, Mark. <laughs> no. And I was like, hey, this is like a real guy from the Maritimes. Yeah. I don't know you're from the Maritimes. You got that yeah. Eastern Canadian accent. Like, you know, you're the kind of guy that I might meet at a Starbucks and have a conversation yeah. with. You were, you were much more real than I had anticipated. And I guess yeah. that's one of the things that people like about you. Yeah, I got to change the website. I'll have me getting lobsters out of the Bay of Fundy <laughs> or something like that, you know, or me and Anna Green Gables and Prince Edward Island. Yeah, yeah, that might work on me. I don't know about others. Um, yeah, it's funny because um, you make a good point there. My background was uh, being in real estate is very stuffy, right? Unless you're in Hawaii, real estate agents in Hawaii are wearing flip flops, Hawaiian shirts and stuff. But real estate agents in Canada and a lot of places in the U.S., it's the same pictures there it looks like they got a, a rod crammed up their ass when they get the pictures <laughs> taken right and, and um so the pictures on my website are more relaxing you would have seen in the real estate days but i'm glad you mentioned that because that gives me a kick in the butt to to change those pictures up 
once we get rid of 10 feet of snow and then uh, and to do something that's a little bit more, a uh, little looser for those. So it's good to know. Uh, I've still got the same stuffy headshot I've been using for years. And it's been yeah. like, it's been on my, I use Trello for, for, for task management. It's been at the bottom of my Trello board for like, I don't even know how long, get new headshots and portraits. Like don't look like such yeah. a, you know, insert expletive. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's on my list too. Uh, so, so listen, I want to jump into the, 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 the content a little bit more. Um, and I'm wondering, I know you started, sounded like you started with podcasting. Was that before the group and, and the, and the daily emails? Yes. Uh, so the podcasting was November, 2014. The group was about a year after that. I think it was late September, October, 2015. And then daily emails was April, 2016. So I kind of like go on a, I don't try to throw 20 things at once. So I'll, I'll make sure that I've got something nailed down. And then I add to it. Okay. Here's it's like Lego blocks. Here's the next one. I'll add to it. And what do most people do? Most people say, well, there's 20 different things I want to do. I'm going to try to do them all at once. So they don't end up getting anything done. It's like trying to squeeze 20 people going through a door at the same time. Nobody gets through. And that's the way that I've always done it. So I did where I'm at now into my fifth year is different than when I first started, but I've been very um, conscious of growing it the right way. And being once I start something, I stick with it. I don't any of those three things, whether it be podcasting, the Facebook group, or daily emails, I didn't say, oh, I'll just dip my toe in and do a little bit with it and see how it goes. I said, no, I'm going to stick with it and be patient. And then the results came. Unfortunately, a lot of people online try something for seven days and it doesn't bring them clients. And they think, oh, this is stupid. Then they're off to the next bright, shiny object. Well, when you were podcasting daily, how long did it take before you realized that it was actually working for you? Um, I had a client about six weeks after I started and a lot of people think, oh, wow, that's not that long for into your podcasting to get a client from it. But that was also 42 ish episodes. So that was almost a year's worth of episodes uh, crammed in there. I would say it took about a month to start seeing the results. And actually any of those things that we talked about that I, that I do, I find one month seems to be kind of that magic marker. One month of daily emails is when I started to get more traction. I started to think, hey, this is working. Same thing happened with podcasts, but you have to almost go into it with uh, the thought, I'm not going to worry too much about the results in the beginning. I know it's going to take time, plant the seeds, water them, be patient which I'm not the most patient guy in the world, but when it comes to business, I know that I have to be patient for things and, and that's served me well. Unfortunately, a lot of people online aren't that patient. They want everything right away and then that hurts the results overall. Well, again, it's because the next tactic is just, it's just right there, right? So if this yes. isn't working, I can hide from the pain of the, the, the struggle, right? By yeah. just, you know, trying that other thing. And in the beginning, everything is fun in the beginning, right? When you were first podcasting, it's always, it's always it was, I'm sure it was fun. And then you hit that dip where it's not so fun and you got to push through. So mm, exactly. Yeah. So, and tell me in, in the early days of that podcast, what were you doing to, to get exposure? Well, I was doing the podcast and just pumping it out there every day. I, and by the way, I don't recommend doing a daily show to start out. That's a lot of work. So this was before my brother started his editing business. So I was editing my own show as well, which I'd prefer to get a root canal to editing podcasts, but <laughs> I had to listen to my own, you know, stupid jokes a second time and oh God. But um, so what was I doing? I, that was uh, a great way to really increase, um, I say increase 
credibility and reach because there were so many podcast episodes. And what I recommend to people nowadays is find a daily something, what, whatever you enjoy doing. Now, podcasting is a lot of work. Maybe it's daily Facebook Lives. You hop on Facebook Live for five minutes, 10 minutes a day. But if you pick something that you enjoy doing as a daily something, you'll be surprised at the results that come from it and just consistently doing it. And now it's not podcasting. Now I'm on a weekly frequency, but emails are my new daily something. So I, I always have a daily something, just it's sometimes changed over the years what it is. But um, daily emails are my new thing. I say new thing. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Well, I, I thought you were still podcasting daily. Is that not the case? No, no, oh, I'm okay. doing a weekly podcast. So um, I've released 540-ish episodes. The first 300 I did daily. And I'll be honest, what I found was once I got 300 under my belt, I wasn't getting seven times the benefits doing seven days a week. And um, I kind of went the opposite of, you know, a lot of people with podcasts will go, they'll start weekly, then they'll bump it up to two a week, three a week, and they'll kind of, once they get their feet under them. I went from seven a week down to five, down to three, and then settled on one a week. And then I have a my solo podcast, the Mark Mooney Show. That that goes out Wednesday. So I've got two podcasts, one Monday morning, Natural Born Coaches, and then the solo on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, this podcast has had a very similar trajectory. So when I launched, I said, I, I'd heard people say, look, your first 100 episodes are going to suck. And I was <laughs> like, well, I don't want to suck for like two years. <laughs> right? right publishing once a week I'll get so, all the suckiness done in a few months get yeah. it all done right so I, I i launched with three a week monday wednesday and friday monologue and yeah six months later or four months later i had done more than i cared to do <laughs> in monologues and then i made the switch to interviews and that went down to once a week and now it's twice a week so yeah i mean I, i've had a very similar trajectory and i think getting those 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 monologues, uh, whether it's a monologue or articles or emails, I find that one of the real benefits uh, for, for someone that's not used to producing content is you become kind of familiar with your own ideas and, and right. you start to realize, you know, if you don't have a distinct point of view yet, if you're still working on kind of refining that, then creating something daily will really force you to have a distinct point of view. It, it will. You'll discover your voice a lot sooner. So I always say it's like um, a lot of the sitcoms on TV that you love, like The Big Bang Theory or The Simpsons, which went on for what 122 years or something. I don't know. Um, but but when you look back at those early episodes, they suck, right? The, the Simpsons look like a three year old drew them, and the voices sound different. It doesn't have the same humor. It's not funny. And same with Big Bang Theory doesn't have some of the same things same character same jokes and inside jokes and gags and so on it because it took them a while to discover their voice and now they have them they know what people like and so on and it's the same way online you have to put out a lot of content to discover your voice but the more you do it then it's not gonna take forever it's like going to the gym too you're building up your content creation muscle yeah, it's always painful in the beginning. And, and and like you said, nobody likes to stand to their own voice. So if you're doing podcasts and you got to listen to your own your own voice, it's going to be painful, but get it out there. And in the early days, when you get a little bit of feedback, people like what, what they hear, that'll be the motivation that you need to keep pushing through. Yeah, one of my early episodes, a friend of mine, a coach was listening, he said, Hey, I love the podcast, Marcus. Oh, thank you. That's great. He said, the only thing is I noticed the breathing because I had a, a blue Yeti, which of course, it can be very sensitive. And it was too close to my nose. So I sounded like Darth Vader. You know, they could hear the, the nostril breathing. And it reminds me of that. Do you remember that Simpsons where Homer and Ned are in church? 
and Ned's trying to pray, and Homer's got the little wheezing in his nostril, <laughs> and he says, breathe through your damn mouth, like that. that that's what it reminded me of. So um, I laughed it off. I didn't cry myself to sleep with a bucket of ice cream in bed and stuff. I just said, oh, okay, it's kind of funny. I'll move on or whatever. And you learn. You're never going to be uh, in the early days, you're going to make mistakes, but that's the way that you learn. It's not the end of the world. I can laugh about it. Well, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. So when I started the, 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 the monologue, I used a blue Yeti as well. And I didn't have, I just, I couldn't do a monologue just in, in one take and just, you know, turn the mic on and start talking. I didn't have the confidence to do that. So I would do like a, you know, like a 10 minute monologue. It would take me about 30 to 40 minutes to record it. Yeah. And I would stop and I would start and I would stop and I would start and I would stutter and I'd make mistakes. I'd go back and I'd start again. And I had a podcast editor go through all of that and, and edit it for me. And each episode became a very expensive proposition. <laughs> editing. Well, everybody has those crotch words or the ums and the ahs. Me, I say, you know, a lot. That's mine. You know, you know. And I picked that up when I listened through the solo podcast. I'm getting better at it now. But I I usually now do it in one take. But but before I was a little bit more scripted as well. And as you do more of them, you loosen up and you're less uh, stiff, I guess, when you're doing it. Everyone's got to start somewhere and, and we're all we're all going to be uh, worse off in the beginning than we are in the end. So that, that's OK. That's a rite of passage. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I want to jump into the idea of Facebook groups. Uh, when did that become a thing for you? Like, how, when did you decide that, you know what, this might be a good opportunity? Well, 2014 and most of 2015, I was in other groups and I was an active member in certain groups and I posted content. And I got clients from it. And uh, to make a a really long story short, I had a Facebook group for past guests of my podcast, which had 300 and some people in it where it had been a daily show. And it was called Natural Born Coaches Past Guest, really original title. (laughs) But um, what was happening was I was getting all these requests from coaches asking to come in because they just saw the word coach, not realizing that it was for past guests. And I'd have to message them and say, oh, I'm sorry, this group is only for people who've been on my podcast. So after enough of that, it got hammered through my thick skull that, hey, I should have a Facebook group that's opened up to all coaches or people interested in coaching. And that's where the coaching jungle came from in late 2015. And in a little over two years, it's grown to almost 10,000 members as we're recording this now. And that's without a cent of paid advertising as well. That's just all organic word of mouth. And so, so break that down for me. When you say organic word of mouth, are people searching and finding it? Well, one thing I did was I, I have always gone on a lot of shows, just like I'm doing now. And it, even in the first year, I was on close to 100 shows as a guest. And what was happening after I started the Facebook group, every single podcast I was going on, I was talking it up. And here's a tip for anyone listening who has a podcast, buy the domain for your group. Oh, sorry, not a podcast. Everyone has a Facebook group. Buy the domain for your group and make sure it's an easy one that you can spit out during interviews. Because Facebook gives you an ugly URL, right? Facebook.com slash group slash 149678.52 or something like that. I own thecoachingjungle.com. I would say, hey, go check out thecoachingjungle.com. It forwards to the ugly Facebook link. So if you're, that's one great way to get the word out for groups is to go on podcasts. Um, but another thing is just talking it up constantly in, in all your, your content creation as much as possible. You want to talk the group up. And unfortunately, a lot of people think they could post about their group just a handful of times and that's enough. And it's not. You have to be constantly hammering people over the head about the group. 
And what happened as it grew is uh, more people were being shown the group, as you know, the suggested groups on the side of your Facebook. Mm-hmm. It was it was being mentioned in there more and more where people would say, yeah, I heard about this group from my friend so-and-so. He said it's awesome. So I thought I'd check it out. And that's how it, it went from there. So a couple of more questions about groups before we wrap up. I think given the changes that Facebook's going through, groups have been important. It seems like they're going to be more and more important. What is what is the future of groups uh, from your perspective? Well, definitely. And Mark Zuckerberg's talked about that. So it doesn't matter what algorithm changes go on. Facebook is that's what they're directing people towards Facebook groups. They're not going anywhere. So they're going to actually increase in importance. And then they're going to be rolling out Facebook group ads, which is going to be the next thing. And uh, that'll be a big thing as well. So what I like about having a Facebook group is when you're not in a group, when you're posting, you're just one of those names on someone's newsfeed and they may not even see it, right? Because Facebook's not showing you to everybody. Um, And you're just one of thousands of people. When you're in a Facebook group and they join and they see your, your face and your name on the banner and they realize that you're the leader of that group and, and they're being exposed to your ideas every day, they get to know, like, and trust you. That's very powerful. It's a lot easier to build that connection with them in a group setting than it would be out in the wild west of Facebook elsewhere. That's why I like groups. And, and how much are you, are you posting in there? Are you in there every day? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I'm posting three to four times a day in my group which I know people say that's a lot. Now, one of them's a theme day post, which goes up every morning, eight o'clock Eastern, but the rest of it's me uh, with, with different things. And that's a magic number I'm finding right now as we're recording this three to four times a day. Once a day, probably not enough. A couple times a week definitely isn't enough. You've got to be in there. If you're not active in there, people won't be active. Why would they? You're the group leader and you're not showing up. So why should they? So if you're just starting out with a new group, what's your kind of recommended content routine where you don't have a large audience yet? So it might not make sense to go in three, four times a day. What's a good starting point? Well, just just get started. But um, a lot of people think that they have to have hundreds of pieces of content ready to go and then put a bunch of things in the file section of the group. And I say, don't worry about that. Just get in there and get it started. But you're right. A lot of people are sitting with groups of 50 people, 75 members or so, 100 members. Doesn't matter what kind of stuff. You could be posting the meaning of life and all these great things. It's not going to make a difference because there's only 50 people in the group. So you have to get it up there. And I found the tipping point for my group was around 1,000. Once we got up over 1,000 members, it really took on a life of its own. Okay. And in in terms of content, are you doing like a mix of Facebook Lives, videos, text? Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing all those things. Uh, to answer your question before, one, I would go at least once a day as a bare minimum. But I, as you get comfortable, I would work that up as quickly as possible to a few times a day. And then another way to get people in, especially if you have a lot of people on your personal Facebook that would be a match for it, when you do a video like a Facebook Live in your group, share it on your wall as well. Hey, guys, I just shot a Facebook Live earlier this morning about blank in my Facebook group check it out. So then when they go to click on that link, they're going to have to request entry into your group to see the video. You're going to be growing your group, getting people. You're doing what I try to do. I want people connected with me to ideally be connected with me on Facebook. 
in my Facebook group. I want them to be on my email list. I want them to be subscribed to my podcast. I want them to see my name and my face when they close their eyes at night to go to sleep. In a (laughs) non-creepy way. I'm not standing over their bed. But I don't want them to be able to turn around online without seeing me. I don't know how that can not be in a creepy way, Mark. (laughs) But I I, I understand the broader point. Uh, Let me ask you about Facebook group uh, positioning. How do you... What's your best advice on how to choose a topic for your group and how to position your group? Well, it depends on what your business is. So you want to pick something, obviously, that gels with your business. And I recommend having your keyword in the group title, if at all possible. So I knew with my group, I want to have either the word coaches, coaching, coach, something with coach in there. Uh, with a keyword. So your group should be that people look at it between the title of the group, they look at the banner and everything else. And right away, they think, ah, this is for accountants or whoever. And they and they know that they don't have to guess. The groups have a tough time. I see out there ones that are very fuzzy. They don't know their why. Why are they operating? There's millions of Facebook groups. If you don't have a really strong why, or you're not clear about what your group's doing, it's going to be very hard to get your head up above the crowd there. So you have to put some thought into it at the beginning and make sure that there's a strong, cohesive theme that ties in with your business. So when you say why, you mean, you know, what's the reason for people to join, essentially? Yeah. Like, I mean, mine's very clear. It's to help coaches with their businesses. So it's it's nothing else. That's what we do. If, hey, if you want to help your coaching business, come on in. You'll learn stuff every single day. And I've had people say, hey, I get more from your group, Mark, than I've gotten from paid programs. And I think, great, that's awesome. Send me a check. Here's the, no. Um, (laughs) Yeah, send me a PayPal. But uh, that's my goal is I want to make sure that it's really valuable to encourage people to keep coming back. And it's interesting. I just actually looked at the insights stats last night in the group because, of course, with Facebook groups, now you can get group insights. And the first month of 2018, we had over 33,000 posts, comments, or reactions on those. So that's what, you know, a thousand, over a thousand a day just from that. And December was really strong too, even around the Christmas holidays, that group was blowing up when the other places online were more quiet just because of the holidays. And that, but that came from the efforts I put in the previous two years as well. Yeah, no, that that's amazing. Mark, uh, anything else you want to mention today that we haven't covered already? No, I think we covered a lot of stuff there. Go Leafs, go Jays. <laughs> Are you a Leafs fan? I am a Leafs fan, yes. And a blue, I'm a bigger baseball fan than hockey, believe it or not, here in Canada. So I'm a big Blue Jays fan. Looking forward to the season. Well, I thought everybody outside of Toronto and Canada hated everything about Toronto. Well, sports-wise, they don't. Um, a lot of a lot of Jays and Leafs fans here, but uh, now Montreal, we could do a whole podcast on that. I'm not a big Habs fan, Montreal Canadiens, but anyways, we'll save that for another time. Yeah, that, that's for another show. Listen, Mark, where can people look you up online? Uh, best spot is naturalbornCoaches.com, or you can go to thecoachingjungle.com. That's the Facebook group, and I'm in there every day, as you know from this interview. Excellent. We'll drop links to both of those in the show notes. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course, 
on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.